Left, right, and center comes your way with the original, never to be duplicated nor exceeded, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. Welcome, guys. Nice to be both back again. Thank Good you. morning, Jim. It's been a while since the three of us sat around this table, and mm -hmm. uh, I thought that this morning I might just like to pick your brains a little wee bit. We, we know the farmers rode in the roads uh, this morning protesting uh, against what they feel is unfair competition offshore and that the government is not being cognizant of their problems. Um, at the same time, I just read a story to our listeners a couple of minutes ago about the protesters to the uh, World Trade uh, meetings coming up in Quebec. That apparently plans are being laid to uh, inject a violent component into that to ensure that worldwide media will, will follow them and whatnot. Seattle has become what happened in Seattle, which essentially didn't seem to affect the people inside the conference one little bit, but did create a lot of uh, kerfuffle out on the sidewalks. And with the police, that's now become a rallying cry for the what they call the new, new left. I'm just wondering whether either of you guys, from your points of view and positions in the community and society, do you have any affinity or or uh, lack of affinity with people? Is is that the way to try to influence policy at that level? Do you think these people are doing anything other than disrupting the cities they visit? I'm of two minds on that question because, first of all, I can understand the frustration at, at the level that some of these people are acting at. But unfortunately, I would say that their actions are a little bit counterproductive and not addressing the fundamental issue that is creating their problem. And that's because they're looking for a short-term answer. Like right now, the farmers want an instant subsidy. Give us some money now, and we'll worry about tomorrow tomorrow, mm -hmm. when really they should be worrying about tomorrow now. I think the marketplace is, is trying to send us a message. It's telling us, A, we've got too many farmers in the farming business. It's telling us, B, that, that we have to divert a large sector of our economy to different activities. Because if people are operating at a loss, that is a loud and clear signal from the marketplace, even though it's being interfered with by foreign governments, mm -hmm. um, that they're in the wrong business. It's just like anybody else who's in business and losing money. He's getting a message from the marketplace. But it's and not, it might not be but you're a the kind great, message. Yeah, but you're a great not. champion of, of parity and fairness in the marketplace, aren't you? There's no Absolutely. fairness. There's no fairness here. Well, there's no fairness the in the fact that foreign countries subsidize their products. I can't control that, and our government can't. So we have to decide... What are we going to do within the sphere of our control? And I believe in unilateral free trade. And if another country decides they're going to subsidi subsidize their soybeans to us, mm -hmm. then let's buy those subsidized soybeans until they get wise and don't produce them ourselves. Mm -hmm. We as consumers, the greater mass of people in the country, are benefiting from this. The fact that that group of people who may be farmers or factory workers or whatever in an industry that is changing um, that it seems to hurt them. All it does, it's hurting the industry. It's not hurting the person. He's got to move on to a different field of activity mm. or concentrate on something different. Um, you know, that having been said, I realize there's a zillion ways the government gets involved in the, in especially farming in Canada. And uh, I mean, everyone's an excuse for another reason to, to ask for more government help, you know, and it just begins a spiral you can't get out of. Jeffrey? Well, it's interesting to, to I'm uh, thinking about the farmer protest today and comparing that to, um, to Seattle and, and some of the other protests. And I think about the, the thing about Seattle is that I think these things come to take on a symbolic value. As you say, now there have been all kinds of protests at all kinds of uh, world summits, um, but Seattle is sort of the rallying cry. And, and I recall that the first couple of days of Seattle were actually quite peaceful and they had, uh, you know, the giant sea turtles roaming around and that kind of stuff. And uh, it's funny, though, how violence does attract attention one way or another, and it does become the mm -hmm. rallying cry. And I, and I look to, again, what the farmers are doing and how they're slowing down traffic, and that's kind of a... Uh, a uh, cool sort of a um, nonviolent protest, Gandhi-like, and all that stuff. And I, I think farmers have a long tradition of doing that in Europe. 
Um, and it will get them a, a media today, you know, and whether tomorrow it'll be news or not, I don't know. Uh, the, the whole the whole thing about violence in that is that uh, one way or another, it seems that it works, for better or worse. I don't know. Well, it works what at what? About at getting attention, not yeah. at solving the problem. Well, Never. as far as solving the problem, though, what it does so is it, does, it focuses attention on it, and whether or not the people inside the rooms at Seattle at the time chose to say that they were aware of what was going on, they certainly were very aware of it uh, as far as the way it was playing. But out what in the media. was going on? It seems to me out in the streets, and that one, the people were basically screaming for the end of capitalism. I mean it. It wasn't a well-thought-out, well-reasoned approach. And I made reference a little a few minutes ago to uh, the West Wing. I don't know if either of you saw that a couple of weeks ago where Toby Ziegler, one of the president's aides, goes to a rally of these very people and is appalled by their lack of organization and appalled by their lack of vision and their lack of sense as to why they're there. They just have, they're just there to scream and yell and holler and they're going to com- accomplish nothing. He's a former 60s radical and as he says, we changed the world. So if all these people are doing is screaming outside the gates of these organizations, down with capitalists, kill the capitalist pigs. When, when, when well, people, I don't think that's what Seattle when people, was about. When people have been reduced to that level of screaming and violence, that means they don't have an answer. They're crying for help. They're saying, please show me an answer. And the problem is that the answers are not to their liking. They want an, an objective result that, or, or a result that defies the objective reality around them. Like for why anyone would be against of, freedom or free trade, I cannot understand. Yeah. Well, I think most Ever. governments are, but that's another well, story. Well, government, but, uh, yeah. But, but uh, as far as Seattle goes, again, what you, what one of the things that was unique about Seattle, I, I gather, was that it was the first uh, uh, sort of major rally that had been organized by Internet, that they said yes. all these people showed mm-hmm. up uh, sort of uh, in that way. And it sort of um, uh, was a flexing of the muscles, I guess, of, uh, of sort of collectivism in the computer age. But uh, the other thing was that, of course, it was a huge, diverse group of people that, that, that representing all kinds of interests. I think the environment was was heavily represented. There were all kinds of people who that was their thing. Uh, there were unions there concerned about uh, loss of jobs to uh, to uh, third world economies. There were people there concerned about working conditions. Uh, but but I think that the theme probably running through it though would be that they're concerned about the increasing influence of large corporations in the world, in the global economy, and the declining influence of government. Uh, paradoxically, you know, we have the, the situation now where the, the anti-establishment people are the ones standing up saying, we like government. <laughs> there should be more government. <laughs> well, that's and, funny. You know, I saw a recent article by some leading economist, I forget who it was now, arguing that the, that the, the rise of the corporation in the world from everywhere from the Soviet Union to China now has been the major reason we've had world peace and the decline of government power. Mm-hmm. And that the corporation, because it has interests in all countries, mm-hmm. has no interest in war, and well, does not yes, want but, yeah, but the to ba- see those countries. You know, the great, the great, uh, the great, make weapons. the great counterbalance to that argument is the fact that in 1914, the two greatest trading partners in Europe were Germany and France. They traded more with each other than they did with any other countries in Europe. They were economically intertwined, mm-hmm. and in that case, that sort of economic advantage and and many of those companies were owned internationally too it didn't prevent the war so when people people make that no no i'm not saying it's a it's a catch-all to prevent war i'm just saying that as an influence it's a positive influence against war it's not an it has no influence towards a war let's go to the phones here we've got uh greg waiting to join us good morning greg uh yeah hi jim good show uh i'm sorry jim but i just couldn't resist phoning to to point out to you that the the West Wing is, is a TV show, and uh, <laughs> you were using that as an example of what was happening as if it was reality TV. And no, no, I, use I think that. it's a very biased, uh, socialist, liberal view, that show. Uh, I used it to point out our new the... president, uh, I think that a conservative yeah. okay. West Wing show might be really good. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Well, I, I used it to illustrate the difference between the, the different kinds of approaches you can take to protest. And in fact, in my experience and what I read about it, the way they portrayed it was very much like what happened in Seattle. So you and I may have to disagree about that, but uh, certainly I thought it was a fairly accurate representation of everything I've seen and read about it. Okay, I, I, I do think, though, in the Seattle protests, there is an underlying... Uh, I think some of those protesters uh, know what they're protesting about, and some, some almost don't. They, 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 they think that they're protesting against the corporations, and actually the real problem with the WTO is, is the loss of, of sovereignty of, of countries. Why? Why is that a problem? Somebody explain that to me. Other than waving the flag and, and you okay, know, uh, the, Prime the, w, the WTO decides um, what your labor laws can be. They can decide anything in your country that your the WTO could could bring. I mean, anything. It could be. It could. Let's suppose. No, wait, wait, wait. No, stop, stop. No, 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 no. Stop right there. Just stop. Stop talking right now. Stop talking. I want you to listen for a second. Okay. You just said the WTO can do anything. Well, they can't, in fact, do anything, and there's no need to get that excited about it. Why are they such a bugbear for you? What are you so afraid of? Well, I'm not really afraid of anything. Well, it sure I guess sounds it, that I, way. I don't think you know enough about it, Jim. Well, that, you know, uh, about that, the control. That's the a cheap way out. That's a cheap way out to duck my question. Well, I don't know. I think maybe Bob Metz could fill you in. Fill me in, Bob. Uh, I don't know whose side I'm on here, but the issue is... <laughs> well, the, issue is the World Trade Organization cannot compel any country to do anything. When the countries agree to the terms of the World Trade Organization, it's like a contract. They're saying, I agree to do this or not do this in exchange for this other benefit. And the country that's making that deal is assuming that what, what it's exchanging is of greater value than what it's giving up. And if it changes its mind about that, they can pull out of the tor World well, Trade no, Organization. No, that, that's, well, what, that's what we ran into with the ethyl gas in Canada, you know, with the, with the free trade agreement, where uh, you know, the United well, States banned ethyl gas, and Canada found out that they couldn't ban it, sovereignty. even though it was banned in the United sure States, they because of an agreement with the United they States. Been, we could have banned it, we could have, abrogated, we could have abrogated the free trade agreement, which was perfectly within well, our rights. Once you've got buy-in, it's hard to, to jump well, out. Well, wait, wait a minute now. It's like everything else in life. You have responsibilities and, and rights, and they work together. One of your rights is to say, no, I won't do that. One of your responsibilities is to accept the consequences. Well, that's it. And that's what the WTO is. You want about. rights so with, you want right without, that's all you left. I don't want with, you want rights ethyl without consequences. bad news, and it's bad that we had to be into it, and we're stuck with it now. And that's what the WTO is about. It's about getting into deals with other people that have unanticipated consequences. And once you're in, you can't get out. And that means yeah, that your you, government you, doesn't you, run your country anymore. You can't pick and choose what you go along with. Well, how is that different if the government's running the economy and creating petro cans and, and investing? Oh, I agree. You know, <laughs> so, so the thing is, in the private market, at least you have an option of doing something about it. That's right. If, it, if the government's doing it, your options are killed. But one of the other concerns, though, is that the WTO may be motivated by concerns other than the ones that motivate the common person. They may be more motivated by companies who, who have a large influence there. Well, what are companies that's motivated by profit? I always thought. Well, that's right. And, and that's what's why creates you, profit? Pollution. Creating and, uh, a, uh, all create these other problems. Creating a product at a cheap price for people so that a, a, an increasing number of people can buy them. It's a win-win win situation all the way well, around. Companies should run the world, and we'd all live in, in uh, Nirvana. Well, well, we would, compared to what we're living <laughs> in now. According to you and our caller, they already run the world. What's the, what's the difference here? According to you and Greg, they already run the world. Greg, I appreciate your thoughts today. Glad you Thank, called. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay, bye-bye. And Emily joins us. Hello, Emily. Yeah, I've just been listening to this last conversation there, and, and I'm wondering... Have any of you fellows ever farmed? No. 
I uh, probably spent uh, a good seven or eight years on a farm. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a farmer, but I, I drove the combine. Four, 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 I've ridden horses. I've uh, I've uh, baled hay. I've uh, fed the pigs. Yeah, well, uh, I know, had a straw thing. hat one. <laughs> yeah, but were you responsible for it? No, for, no, for, I was a kid, you, of course. You, you, yeah, I just, I mean, uh, well, I, I lived on a farm for over 50 years. Mm-hmm. And I have often wondered when I hear all this palaver going on about farmers crying and doing all this sort of thing, and I often wondered if every farmer in the world went on strike for a year or long enough to get rid of the world surplus. I wonder how much people would appreciate them then. Emily, where have you been hearing, pe- hearing people crying about farmers today? Two calls out of how many? Out of a dozen today? Yeah, I know, but I mean, over the years, I remember when the uh, trade came in for, the, the subsidy came in for pigs. I think it was two cents a pig. Mm-hmm. And our city friend used to make fun of us and say, and I says, look, you dumb idiots. I said, that their subsidy is being done that way because... It's cheaper to give the two cents to the farmer per pig than it is to pay all you people in town to get to get free food, to get cheaper food. Why not it's just a cheaper not, way of doing it? Why, why not, not just raise the price of the uh, of the meat? By yeah, why not just raise the price of meat? But they don't. They just they they. they well, you have to ask yourself why. That's the key to this whole well, issue. I, well, I don't know why. It isn't. It isn't the farmer. Because you won't buy it. Because there's another slab of meat sitting beside it that's been produced by another farmer who's right. offering it to to you at a lower price, well, and that's what it's all about. Well, your marketing boards came in and kept and, it more even. Well, yeah, but it also prevented competition. Mm-hmm. And, sure, that's, but, and that but what would farmers should be competing with each other, not uniting politically. As uh, soon as I you know, see I'm, any... I'm not talking about politics. I'm talking about farmers. If everybody went on strike, what, what would people do when they had no food? Well, then... They, they sure. Should, well, sure, but if, if if even if half of them quit farming, then the other half would be better off because the demand on their services would be greater and they could command a greater price. I'm t- I'm talking of every farmer in the world. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, that's a make-believe. That's I know it's, it's not going to happen, but but of yeah, it's okay. It's like saying but if then, I cut off oxygen. Stuff you're talking about is make-believe too. <laughs> well, I don't think so. Like oh yeah. Right out, out there today. A lot, a lot of the a lot of the stuff and a lot of notions you guys get are make-believe. All of you. Yeah. Well, give me an example. <laughs> <laughs> well, come on, you made a very strong statement. Well, and anybody who figures everybody in the right is right and everybody in the wrong is wrong, and the people on the left who think everybody in the wrong is right. And everybody on the right is wrong. And who do you Why? know like that? I think I think you're I think you're all nuts. Who do you know like that? Yeah, who, huh? like that? who do you know like that? These guys are these guys are good friends at uh, Schlemmer and Metz, and they I know they are. And they have agreed on this. No, you hate the liberals. Pardon? Jim, you hate the liberals. I hate, do no such thing. Of course you do. Well, how can yeah, you say? I mean, you're 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 uh, some a of Canadian. My, literally, some of my very best and closest personal Isn't friends that? are liberals. Hmm? Literally, some of my very closest and best personal friends are liberals. Well, so are mine, and I've got a lot of good... Well, then how can you say I hate the liberals? If I hated the liberals, they wouldn't be my friends. Well, you hate Cretchen, let's put it I that way. I don't hate Cretchen, no. I just think he's kind of a dullard as a prime minister. I think there's a big difference between expressing what I believe that, say, mm-hmm. Jeff might believe that I disagree with. Well, I'm that, still that... expressing what I believe. I believe that if, if every farm in the world went on strike for a while, then it may smarten a lot of people up. Well, I think you're probably right about that, Emily. Thanks for the call today. We've got Ken up next. Hi, Ken. Hello. Yes, sir. Jim, how's it going? Fine, thanks. I, I was just listening to you. I'm waiting on the 401 here for the protest, and, and I'd like to say they were talking about how uh, your guest there, about how half... Well, we lost you, Ken. Yep, I'm here. Yeah, try that again. 
how the other farmers would pick up the slack and they'd be able to sell it for cheaper. Mm -hmm. But the actual price is the price today is below production cost. So if half the farmers reduced farming, they'd still have to put the same input cost in to produce corn and sell it for low production costs. So actually we'd be losing more money the ones that are left. Well, what I have to ask, Ken, is why are you charging less than it's well, costing you to make? Who yeah, puts you in that we, position? We don't regulate the price. It comes from the Chicago uh, Board of Trade, and they set the price, like a stock price, and they can wheel and deal their corn back and forth well, because the Americans are subsidizing their farmers. So, so are, are you saying that all the farmers knew in advance, in advance, mind yeah. you, that the price they were going to get for their product was less than what they had to put into it? Yep, that's right. We um, know... We know the corn price right now. Why are they in the business? Why don't they quit? Yeah, Anybody else who's in a business in that financial situation would quit. Yeah, but that's, the, but that's the point that the lady was making, that if we quit, we are more in business now for a way of life than a profit, and it's not like a... Uh, so you want your way of life subsidized? So you're having then. a lifestyle subsidized. No, it's not subsidized. See, well, that's the thing. Everybody gets into the subsidization of it. It's not subsidized. We would like the world trade to eliminate all agricultural uh, subsidies. Oh, and then I agree we with you fine. 100% there. I agree with you 100%. It would be fine. But the trouble is Canada where is, has, is strong about subsidizing their farmers by not doing it. And the other countries that we compete price-wise are more into subsidizing their farmers. Signific and now, now we're out of the playing field. Yeah, they're significantly more into it, aren't they? Right. Yeah. That's the thing. So the problem is we're behind, like on... It, it, would you say that going metric was a good idea for Canada compared to the United States living, being next to that country that wasn't metric? Well, I would say no, but going metric was a whole other boondoggle. No, but the thing was, as soon as the government had a whiff of going metric, we jumped right in. But the U.S. sat back and said, is it really going to be profitable for us to do it? So they decided no. But it's the same thing with these subsidies. Canada all of a sudden says, you're going to have to cut your subsidies. Boom, they cut it right away, which is being on the forefront of doing it, but I don't think they really researched the cutting to see if it's going to be profitable for the farmers. And farming is an interesting, it is a way of life, and people that aren't farming have a hard time trying to adapt that thinking, is that we're farming because we love the way of life, not because we're making $5,000 or $50,000. Well, you know, that applies to a lot of people's professions and right? jobs. Well, that's the thing. And, but, and you compare it to the doctors. People are mad that doctors are going to the states. But if you relate it to farming, why wouldn't they go to the states and make more money? Why should we complain that we don't have doctors here? That's going to trickle down to food and food costs. When you go into a store, you are relying on cheap food in Canada. Mm -hmm. It's cheap food. You're not paying twice as much for your food. If we were to get production costs and you went in to buy your apples and they doubled, then the producers would be, or the consumers would be screaming that, you know, food price is too high, they're getting paid too much. But ideally, in an ideal world, though, Ken, yeah. sh shouldn't we all pay production costs? Right, that's what I'm saying. We yeah. should pay, and that's all we're looking for. We're not looking to make millions of dollars. We're not looking to make, you know, uh, uh, to be highest paid uh, uh, industry. We're looking just to be on a level playing field. Then we can regulate our input costs and our expertise to make a living. We don't, we're not saying that we want the government to subsidize our living. We want the government to subsidize the board that we're playing on. That's what it is. And then, then it's up to us to make a living. All right, Ken, thanks for the call okay, today. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
We're going to pause for just a second. It's Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer, and we'll be right back. Left, Right, and Center with Schlemmer and Metz. We're talking today about the World Trade Organization, the protests coming up in Quebec, whether these kinds of protests make any difference. Big protests going on today. The farmers driving down the 401, heading past London any time now, uh, trying to raise public awareness of their problems. And Paul joins us next. Good morning, Paul. Good morning. Hello? Yes. Good morning. Yes, good morning. Um, I haven't been able to catch much of the show this morning, unfortunately, a little bit under the weather and just trying to get everything done here on the farm this morning. Uh, I just was curious what the main discussion points you were making. In this hour? Yes. Well, we've been talking about the World Trade Organization and the, the protests being uh, directed to it and whether they, whether they actually accomplish anything, whether the World Trade Organization is a is a giant sinister uh, uh, industrial complex that's going to grind the world under its boot. That's pretty much been it here. The first hour we talked more directly about the farm protest, had Jack Wilkinson, the president of the OFA, on. Okay. And uh, had a number of farmers call. And I, uh, just, I just caught the one part about uh, uh, people wondering why you would grow corn if the input costs are even higher than the price you get paid for mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And that's a fact. But you have to realize when you're, you're running a fair size operation, you cannot grow all one crop. If you grow the same crop on, uh, on a particular piece of land consecutive year after year, you're going to run into disease problems, uh, yield problems. It's, it all has to be done as part of a rotation. So but Paul, that, 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 that's, a, that's a principle that applies to all farmers, yeah. wouldn't you say? Uh, it yes. doesn't distinguish you from anyone else in the no, farming field. But I so have. why are you, why are you operating at a loss? You already know that. You know that. You know how fickle nature is. You know that you have to rotate your crops. You know that the prices in the world are this, this, and yes, this. Yes. Why am I operating at yeah. a loss? Because I have to do it. You'll appreciate whatever business you're in. If you're renting houses or whatever you're doing, sometimes to to run and put a, put a crop in the ground, or is better than not doing it. Your losses from a tax perspective. Are, are not are not as big as if you didn't simply plant at all. So it's not really a loss then. Well, it's a loss, it's, but it's not as big as the implication. It's not as big as the implications if you didn't plant at all. Like when I was in Ridgetown College Agricultural College, yeah. they talked about this and they showed the inputs. You're you're not making any money, but uh, you cannot plant all one crop on the but ground. What if you let the? How can you possibly spend more money to let the field lie fallow than to? Plant, I'm wondering. And to plant a crop that's going to lose your money. Well, if you would let a field lie fallow, can you imagine the wheat? And that's against the Noxious Weed Act of, of, of Ontario. Well, don't. is there not some other crop you that could... That costs uh, money to let a field lie fallow as well, because you'll have to be in there cultivating it, yeah. working it up. Yeah. You have taxes to pay on that property mm -hmm. every year, etc., mm -hmm. etc. Et you're going to recoup some of that by planting. But you're not going to make any money off the land, is what I'm saying. But what about what about people, or are there people who, in the face of this, are be growing large acreages of corn, knowing they're going to go go uh, go bust on them, or is it just the average uh, cash crop farmer's got got a few acres of corn in? Well, I, like I've said before, I, I don't think you're grasping the concept. I have to plant corn on a certain number of my acres. Yeah, well, that's if right. I don't do that, I'm going to run into big problems in the future. Yeah, you can't just keep doing, keep doing, keep doing that. It doesn't work that yeah, way no, in agriculture. I, I grasped all of that. I asked you the question: Are you talking about cash crop farmers with a with a relatively small percentage of their total crop in corn? Well, well how, how much how much of your total acreage have you got in corn? We would say we do it on a on a three year rotation, and a third of our acres goes into corn. Every three every 
Yeah. Okay. Er, and it's yeah, rotated right. around. I got you. Okay. Paul, are there are there any crops that make money? Uh, there are crops, the beans, that make money. But like I say, you cannot put your total acreage in beans. Beans is very, very uh, one of those crops that is very uh, particular as well. You have to keep a number of years between bean crops because you run into things like soybean cyst nematode, and, and soybeans is a little, little more precious that way. You have to watch out from yeah. a disease standpoint. Yeah. So you've got to keep your space in between in order to. You, we're stewards of the land. You have to understand that. Yeah, absolutely. So it, I, I don't. I'm not looking for a major, major reduction. What I'm looking for, and I think what is best for Ontario farmers, is that we have um, in place mechanisms for crop failure, uh, market revenue insurance that ensures that the government will help us try to break even on these crops. And, uh, you know, that I think these are the keys which we have to be looking for. And uh, the money that they gave the federal government is barely going to look after that. They were already uh, shortfall in that area. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's... Now, we hear you, Paul. I think we understand. And you're, you're, uh, I don't mean to cut you short here, but you're making points now that were made, I think, very well earlier as well. Sure, so I, sure. I think our listeners are aware of what okay, you're trying well, to say. Okay, well, I appreciate the time. I'm glad you called today. Thank you. Bye-bye. We've got about 30 seconds left. Harm's with us. Hi, Harm. Hi. Yes, sir. Yeah, I was wondering, subsidies are basically... You know, without subsidies, we don't, even the auto industry wouldn't exist, neither would Bombardier. It just seems to be a way of life, and this country's got to be competitive, so you either have to decide if this country's going to be competitive or if it's not. I mean, well, I think that by industries doesn't, as well as the, doesn't the presence of a subsidy tell you that you're not being competitive, that you're losing money because you have to kick money into it? That, to me, is a contradiction in terms. Well, the idea is if you're, if you're not giving the subsidy, though, you're not in business. And the idea is if by giving the subsidy, you're hanging in there, and eventually yeah. you're going to outlast your competitor, hopefully, in the long run. But you can run. make the same claim with the auto industry or Bombardier. What's the difference there? Well, there is no economic difference. I agree. They should, none of them should be getting subsidies. And if they can't make it on their own, and if they're not charging the price to the consumer who's buying the car, why should a guy who doesn't own a car, can't afford a car, be paying taxes so some other guy can drive a car? Yeah, but we're talking world economics. I mean, you're looking at a small the smaller scale work economics every country in the world subsidizes some some shape or form yes to their own detriment to their own detriment well, that may be and the by case, copying them we're not improving our situation country and if you decide not to be competitive we they should might close doors in all of Canada well we should get into something thing. where we have a comparative advantage harm i have to leave it there we're out of time but thank you for yeah, your thanks. call and thanks to both my guests bob metz and jeff slimmer nice Jim, to be both you. back together yeah. look forward to seeing you again soon Thank you. Stay with us, folks, on the other side of the news. We've got some more open phones, and we've got Ask the Experts with Chris Cahill from Financial Strategies Group, all coming up on 1290 CJBK. And now here with the news is Scott Kitching.